Just give your pastors a great hand. Come on. I love pastors Holly and, and Dallas so much. Thank God for them. And you go sit with her that way. Anyway, it's good to see all of you. It's good to be back again um, here at uh, Bridge Church and excited about what God's doing. Elementary schools are wonderful. Uh, we did our, uh, I had an opportunity about a year, a little over a year, we were in, um, we were building our first facility. And um, so we had uh, done all that we could do as long as we could where we were, and we had to get out of there because they were tearing the building down and uh, widening the uh, highway there, going to make it a, a four-lane parkway type thing. And so we had to vacate, and it came real sudden. It was like one of those things that we weren't really prepared for it. But we went in running at the time about 110 people, and when we moved out of the school to go over to the finished facility, we were about 160, 170. So we grew almost 50% in the building there. And I just feel like you guys are going to step into something that is going to be so awesome. And you're going to be in a community, in the school, where people are going to see you uh, differently. And I think this season that you've had in leaving your facility that you were in for so many years and coming here is kind of like the uh, children of Israel. You're kind of on a journey. And um, this was part of that trip and part of that process that God used to prepare, um, to prepare you for where he's going to take you. If I've learned anything in growing a church is God sends some people to you for a service. They're there for just a service. They come to receive something that you say, a song that's saying, an interaction with a member, or something happens in their life that God sent them there specifically to receive that, and then they're gone. There's some that come in, in uh, for a season. They're there for an extended period, and they're part of what God is doing in that season and maybe even the next season or two. But then God moves them or God does something in them where it's, they are not going to go where you're going next. And then God sends those that become foundation. Uh, they stay. And no matter what the season is, no matter what the requirements are, no matter what the changes are, no matter what has to be done to get to the level and the next level and the next door and the next opportunity, they just keep moving with it. They keep changing with it. They keep reinventing themselves in the Holy Spirit. God keeps changing them. And I believe that what you have in this room right here is a foundation and a core that you're going to look back. If this whole world stands and God tarries three to five years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to remember the last service or two in this theater. And the next step that you take is it's going to open up a whole new vista for you, a way that you've not been to do things in a way that you've not done, an experience of the presence and the flow of God in a brand new dimension. But that's only going to be the next step. And then there's going to be steps that follow that. So I want to encourage you, just make it up in your heart and your mind, God, I'm yours. I thank God for my church. Thank God for my pastors. I love them. I support them. But Father, lead me, guide me, mold me, make me, help me to be what I'm supposed to be. And then, God, use me to the fullest capacity that I have to make a difference in someone's life. And I believe that if you'll do that, stay sweet in your spirit. You know, changes are not, are not easy. Uh, I've made changes that I didn't like. I, got, I said, well, that's stupid, Bolin, but you had to do it. 
You know, you just had to do it because in order to get to the next step, things had to happen. And so, but stay sweet in your heart. Stay open to God and just let him continue to grow you and to develop you and help you to see things. I kind of picture our, our growth in God and our, our, our journey in the Lord kind of like a, a kaleidoscope. Uh, all the pieces are there. You know, you, you can't get more of God. He, he's everything. You, you, they can't measure. There's no measurement to contain him. Uh, there's nothing that you can do to really fully comprehend him. No mind can fully hold the capacity of knowledge of him. So the kaleidoscope is all the pieces are there. But every time you hold that kaleidoscope up and you turn it, you, those pieces move into a different place and they give a different look. But it's the same pieces. God just arranges and rearranges and, and moves. Uh, so your gifts, your talents, your abilities, he can just keep adjusting and growing and changing so you can always be a part of what God wants to do. My prayer is that everyone in this room is a part of those that stay and that are part of the foundation. And you're going to welcome tens and twenties and hundreds and perhaps even thousands of people over the next seasons of growth that God's going to bring to this house. And you can, you can thank God that you are faithful to do your part and you can be counted upon in the, in the good and the bad. In the tough times, the lean times, you were there. So I love these two. I thank God for them. Thank God for their heart. When I got, or actually when they pulled up and picked me up at the airport yesterday, and um, I saw Holly. I saw, I said, she's, something's different in her. And I looked across and I saw Pastor Dallas standing. And, and I just, I told both of them when I got in the car, I said, I don't know, I don't really know what's happened, but y'all are different. Something has shifted in you. There was a, there was a settledness there. There's a calm there. There's, there's a peace on them that I haven't seen in a long time. God's up to something in the two of you. And just allow him to, to take you from glory to glory, to reinvent you. Who you are now will not be who you are a year, ten years from now. You'll always have that core that is you, that, that kindness, that goodness, that, that I don't know that you'll ever be quiet and calm, but <laughs> that, that energy. Uh, I, I watch him worship, and it's like, I got to sit down and rest. I mean, he just, there's, there's nothing left on the table when that guy leaves church, man, I'm telling you. And her, she's a, she's a ball of fire, too. But uh, I love you guys. I thank you so much for your love and the kind words you said. It means so much. But I, I love them. They're the real deal. Um, how you see them here is how they're going to be at home and every other place. I've never, I've never seen them to be different than who they are. There's no pretense about them. Uh, they just love God, and they love you. Well, I need to shut up and get going. Um, let my take my, okay, there's a clock right there. I've got 27 minutes, and i got an hour and a half message, so we're going we're gonna to do what we can. Uh, how many of you know what a paradox is? Okay, good. Uh, paradox is something that, uh, it's almost like two things that seem to contradict each other fit. And uh, this, this paradox I'm going to share with you this morning is one that God put in my heart a number of, well, several years ago, but a, a number of months ago, I began to dig into this and, and just kind of look at it from different perspectives and, and really what God meant when he said these two phrases, when he, he made these two um, injunctions that we are to do. 
And when I looked at them on the surface, they seemed to contradict each other. But how do you know that there are no real contradictions in the Scripture? Somehow they fit. And when you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you'll find that they do fit. But just looking at them on the surface, it seems like they don't go together. And, and that is the thought of simply this, remembering and forgetting. Forgetting and remember. Remember the right things to see the new thing. I want you to put your spiritual eyes on right now. I want you to take all the blinders off. I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit to paint a picture for you. And I want you to realize that there are some things that God wants you to remember. And there are some things that God wants you to forget. And that sometimes you have to do them almost simultaneously in order to move forward. But if you want the new thing that God is doing, then you're going to have to be willing to see things differently. There are some things that you're going to carry with you the rest of your life because God says, remember and don't forget this. And there's other things that God says, I want you to lay it down, put it down, don't look at it one last time, and then never look at it or bring it up again and go straight ahead. Learning how to navigate that paradox will really, it will, it will strengthen your ability to grow and to develop your faith. Winston Churchill, and I'm going, to, I'm going to get a lot of scripture into you, so don't, don't get nervous if I don't take a text right now. I will eventually get there. But Winston Churchill said this. He said, the further back you look, the further forward you are more likely to see. In other words, the more that you are able to understand your past in the right context, it enables you to understand and see farther than probably you would have or could have seen. Listen to this statement here. The problem is, and here's the problem, we remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. Everybody look at that on the, on the screen and just read it out loud with me. The problem is we remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. Amen? In Scripture, the Bible teaches us to remember some things. And... Time will allow me to go into the depth and talk about all of them, but there's three of them I want to share with you, and they kind of dovetail off each other, and they build a kind of a, of a, a composite picture for you to see. The first thing we have to do is we have to remember God's provision. How many of you know that you got here because of God? How many know that you got here today because God put it in the heart of somebody to invent a car? Now, that car was already in the mind of God. He just happened to drop it into a couple of, of a people's mind, and they began to work on it. And it, the cars today didn't look like the cars of 1900 when they were first built. They've gone through a lot of radical changes, but yet they are still a car. And God is saying to us, I want you to remember my provision. I want you to remember that how you got here is because I made a way for you and I provided for you. And again, the children of Israel, if you, if you have your Bibles in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in verses 10 and then 17, 18, it says this, when you have eaten and you have and, and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, God is speaking to Moses. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' last words to the nation of Israel before he would ascend up to Mount Moab, and then the Lord would do whatever God did with him, and we don't know where he's at, but we do know he's with the Lord. They couldn't find his bones because if they did, they would have worshipped him. But he said, when you come into your land, when your business prospers, 
when your kids aren't crazy, when your wife likes you, and your husband is getting up off the couch and doing something, don't forget. Say, don't forget. Don't forget. Remember, look at this, next verse. You may prosper, verse verse 17. Now, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Have you ever heard a statement, I'm a self-made man? I'm a self-made woman. Nobody helped me get here. I got here all by myself. Well, baby doll, let me tell you something. Who gave you the wind to get up? Who put the air in your lungs? Who gave you the muscle to move, the dexterity to hold? Who gave you the mind to think, the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the mind to be able to comprehend and dream dreams? No, you didn't get there by yourself. You aren't here because you're all that in a bag of chips. God got you here. In fact, let me tell you something. You are exactly where God knew you would be from the foundations of the world. He knew that on this, what, the 22nd? Is that what today is? 23rd, what, whatever. 21? 23rd. On the 23rd of February, 2020, he knew that you would be sitting right where you're sitting at, next to who you're next to, listening to me. So look at me. You're right on schedule. You're right on time. All of that, all that happened, took all that to get you here because God had a plan for you. God has provided for you everything that you need to get where you are today. Now, most of you say, well, I'm not real happy where I'm at. God knows that. But understand that God's not finished. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not finished. God's not finished. Now, look at this. But he says in that, in that 18th verse, but remember, say remember. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you, say he gives me, the ability, the power to produce wealth and so confirm or to establish his covenant. It's God. I'm reminded of scripture where where the psalmist wrote in Psalm 37, in verse 25, he says, I've been old, or I've been old and I've I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed are descendants out begging for bread. He is your provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He knows what you need when you need it. He knows how to get it to you. He knows how to move mountains so you can walk on a flat place. He knows how to carve out the hills so you can pass through. He knows how to do everything that needs to be done. He is your provider. He is the one that has given you provision. He is the one that's enabled you to be who you are, to be where you're at today. So don't forget, when times are rough and things are going upside down, remember, If God did that then for me, why would I not believe that God could take care of me now? I've been through too much. I've gone through too much. I've seen heights. I've seen lows. I've been in. I've been out. I've been good. I've been bad. I've been right. I've been wrong. But God has never forsaken me. He's always provided for me. He's taken care of me. In fact, he's been far better to me than I deserve. But God provides provides i love the i love the scripture in effect if you have your bibles i didn't i don't this won't be on the screen and the holy spirit spoke this to me this morning i was sitting there kind of just going over this praying through this and in first chronicles the 29th chapter it's, it's the last chapter in the book of first chronicles 
David is gathering together all the materials that would be needed to build the temple. He wasn't going to build it. Solomon ultimately built it. But David took it upon himself to, to gather the material and the, and the money that would be needed to put all of this together, to pay the workmen, to do everything that needed to be done. And he called upon the people to bring offering. Everybody, everybody look at me. I'm not taking an offering, but just look at me. <laughs> to go where you've got to go, you're going to have to be willing to give like you've never given. And don't be afraid of that. Because in the storehouse of God, there's an endless supply. And whatever you give to God, you'll never lose. But whatever you hold from God, you will lose. It'll pass through your fingers like sand. You can't hold it. But if you release it willingly, God will multiply it back to you. Amen? But, but, this, but, but, but David prayed this prayer, part of his prayer, or part of his statement in 1 Chronicles chapter, uh, chapter 29, verse 14. Listen as I read it to you. But who am I? Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Now, if you read the scripture back up before that, it tells you all the stuff that they brought. They brought a boatload of stuff. But this statement right here, listen to this. For all things come from you. Listen to this. And of your own, we have given you. You don't own it. You don't own it. You may have title deed to that car, but you don't own it. You may have title deed to that house, but you don't own it. It belongs to God because I tell you, when you die, your car ain't going to get in the grave with you. house not getting in the grave with you. That Rolex, Rolodex, whatever else is not going to get in the grave with you. <laughs> Depends on where you buy it at. Rolodex is, you know, up in New York City. They got a Rolodex here, baby. And it's, it's anyway, I'll go on. <laughs> You're not going to take any of that with you. God's your provider, amen? Come on, say God's a provider. I got to go, got to go, got to go. Everything you have is his. And when he calls for it, it doesn't belong to you. It's his. Giving away five cars. God said it's not yours now. It belongs to this one. Just did it last week. Another one. They belong to God. He's also our, to, excuse me, to remember not only God's provision, but we had to remember God's power. Say God's power. When the children of Israel crossed the, um, the Jordan River, now led by Joshua, Moses had, had gone on. And when they crossed over the river, um, God told Joshua to command the people or the priests to take 12 stones from out of the middle of the river and to bring them out and to set up a memorial on the other side. This memorial was going to be put in the place called Gilgal. And the word Gilgal literally means to roll away. It, meant, it was a picture of when they crossed over the Jordan River that they were rolling away the reproach of Egypt. It's a, picture of when you, it's a picture of when you step into the goodness of God, when you step into the favor of the Lord, when you step into salvation, when you step into his presence, you roll away the reproach of your past. You roll away the reproach of yesterday. You roll away the loss of yesterday. And you're stepping into something brand new. Yeah. 
God wants you to remember not only his provision, but his power. He wants you to know that he can do whatever needs to be done so that you can cross over and come into his goodness and come into his power, even if it means drying up cancer cells, because he's not finished with you yet. He has power. 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 I love the book of Job because it helps me to remember that I don't ever want to go through that. I read that and I think, man, I, I, that guy is, that guy, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he was real or not to go through all that he went through. But God gets him after Elihu had just told him about the magnificence of God and the power of God and how great God was because Job was complaining. How many of you think Job had a right to complain just a little bit? How many of you ever, how many of you got a master's degree in the molly grubs? How many of you know there's a complainer sitting next to you? And there's a grumbler on the other side. And up inside of you is all that too. We're, we look at people and say, well, you know, if you knew God like I knew God, you served God like I served God, you'd be happy all the time. Be careful. Job was wise. Job was the wealthiest. He had everything. Well, Job come to the, coming to the end of this ordeal that he found himself in, he was receiving instruction, and he was grumbling and complaining, and Elihu wanted to remind him of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Then God steps in there. Now, how do you know when God steps in, it's, things shift a little bit. In Job 38, he basically said, I think it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's the fourth verse. He asked Job this question. He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I put the limits on the tide of the ocean? Where were you? Where were you when I dusted the snow-capped mountains? Where were you when I carved out the rivers? Where were you when I separated land from what? Where were you, Job? God is all-powerful. God can do what God wants to do. And God wants to do the impossible in you and through you and for you today. In fact, I really wouldn't give you two cents for your faith if you've never had to face an impossible situation because your faith has not been tested. Until you come to a place where you can't fix it, until you come to a place where it's beyond your ability, it's beyond your connection, it's beyond your resources, it's beyond your pedigree, your degree. It's beyond everything that you are. It's beyond everything that you know. I wouldn't give you two cents for your faith until you've been put in a place where if God does not do this, I will not make it. And I believe I'm sitting, I'm standing in a room talking to a group of people that most all of you in this room, you've gone through those moments, you've faced those impossibilities, and you look back and you say, thank God for his power. 
He provided for you. He kept you. He sustained you. He elevated you. He promoted you. He strengthened you. Whatever needed to be done for you to be here today. And some of you didn't even realize the fullness of all that he had done. Then he said, I want you to remember my provision. I want you to remember my power. But I also want you to remember Jesus' passion. This is important right here, and i got to get going. When Jesus, let me just cut through this. When Jesus instituted the, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, um, uh, communion, whatever you want to call it, whatever tradition you came out of, if you have no tradition, it's just communion. It's koinonia, the Greek. It's fellowship. It's fellowship with him and fellowship with one another, with one another in his presence, remembering him. And Jesus said, whenever you, whenever you take this bread, whenever you drink of this cup, he said, do so in remembrance of me. He said that in Luke and the other Gospels. See, Holy Communion is for the purpose of remembering Jesus and all of his power and his grace and his love. He didn't say, remember to, to do this. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do this to get to heaven. You don't take communion to get to heaven. He didn't say, do this for a blessing. You don't receive communion for a blessing. It's in the, it's in the meal, but that's not why you take it. It's not why you receive it. It's, he also said, don't do this as a ritual. That's why there's this, there's this tension of how often do we do it. How, sometimes we don't do it often enough. Other times we do it so often it means nothing to us. But he said, do this in remembrance. And what, and what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he was instructing them on how to receive the table of the Lord, he said, there are those, I grew up in a tradition that a lot of you know, the church of God. I was afraid to take communion because I wasn't perfect. And I was afraid because I was told if you take this thing unworthy, you're going to die. Right here, right now, you're going to die. I mean, death's going to crawl up inside you. You're going to die. You better not take it. I was afraid of it. That is not what that means. When you read it in the context it's written, he was talking to them. You take it in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? It's because they were coming to church. They were having homecoming every time they got together. And they were racing for the biscuit and the gravy and the chicken and, kicking, and keeping other people from getting it. They were a bunch of hogs, gluttons. They were partying. And they were calling it the meal of the Lord. Paul said, that's wrong. Don't do that. But he said in that 20th verse, he says, but as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you Proclaim the Lord's death. Why do we want to talk about that now? Let me look, look at me. Do you know why he came? He came into this world. God loved us so much. He sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him, verse 17, John 3, might be saved. He came to live to die. Without that sacrificial death, 
Without that atoning death, none of us would be here. We are in the family of God today because of his life, his death, his burial. And we will celebrate eternity because of his resurrection. But we need to remember, some of y'all have forgotten your Lord. You've gotten so caught up in yourself and your problems and your pain, and, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not minimizing it, but it has taken front and center of your attention, and you've forgotten, I'm a child of God. He is my Father. He loves me. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the dirt they stand on. He owns it all, and he loves me. I am his seed. I am his descendant. I am the righteous of the Lord, not because of my own doing, not because of my own perfection, not because of my work, but because of his finished work, because of what he gave at Calvary, the death, the sacrificial atoning death of the Lord. He bore stripes. He shed blood. He died, carried all my sin, past, present, future. He carried it. And all I need do is when I mess up, ask him, fess up, and he'll take care of it. Amen. Some of you right here, right now, you need to remember why God saved you. You need to remember. Now, i got to move, and I'm supposed to close in five minutes, and God, you got to help me. Listen to these couple of statements here. If, if we don't remember the right things, we'll never have faith to believe God for the new things. It is our ability to see what God is saying that creates a vision in us to go forward. That's all vision is, is simply seeing what God is saying. So see this before I close. Say, God is my provider. Say, God is my power, my source, my resource. He's my everything. And I will never Ever, never, ever forget his sacrifice for me that I could live. You sit here today because of the faithfulness of God. You don't deserve to be here. None of us do. We don't even deserve to be sitting here in our right mind. But God, he said, remember. But then the scripture also says, God said, forget. There's a lot of things I want to say about that, but I won't have time to really dig into it. Philippians 3, 13, 14 says, and you know the scripture well. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I did. Look at me. All of you look at me. Paul said, I'm not there yet. Paul said, I don't know everything. I haven't seen everything. I'm not all that in a bag of chips and sliced bread. I don't know everything. He said, I've not yet apprehended, but one thing I do. Say one thing. Forgetting those things which lie behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There are some folks in this room, and I, come to, I had to say all I've said to get to this right here for you. You've come in here dragging your junk with you again. You, you, you rehearse your pain all the time. 
you rehearse your failure all the time. You, you rehearse your past all the time. You are constantly reminding yourself that you're not good enough. You're constantly telling yourself, God will never use me. I've got such a checkered past, there's no way God could ever do anything with me. They'll never believe me. They'll never receive me. They'll never give me opportunity. Never, 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 never. You're dragging it with you everywhere you go. And the moment opportunity comes, yesterday jumps up out of the bag and gets on your shoulder. And do you remember when you did this? And you said this? And you it was just last. That's what the enemy does. He short circuits the plan of God by getting us to look back and remind ourselves of our failure instead of remembering God's goodness, God's mercy, God's provision, God's power, and his passion. That is the work of the enemy. And you placate it and give into it and rehearse it and nurse it. In fact, let me tell you what your psychological problem is, spiritually speaking. You are suffering from what is known as spiritual necrophilia. Necrophilia is a psychological term that is given to people who have a fixation with death things. What you do is when opportunity comes, you take the shovel of faith instead of digging a hole to put a seed of trust in it and hope in it, you dig up your old bones and you sit there at the grave of your past, of your failure, of your sin, and you drag them old bones out and you rehearse them to yourself. And remind others of the bag of trash you were. Because we all were trash. Filthy as rags, the Bible says. There's somebody in this room, probably somebody's. You are living in a state of negativity, of condemnation, and shame. I got to give you this. Turn to Isaiah 43 real quick. 43 real quick. What time time are they going to close the doors and kick us out? 12. My God, I I got all day. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah. Isaiah 43. You've heard this, but listen to it this way. Now, Now that you know, remember and forget. Remember and forget. Remember and forget. Do not remember the former things. What former things? You just got done telling me we need to remember the goodness of God and his power, provision, and The former things are the fear, the negativity, the junk, the failure, the stuff that Satan has put in your head, in your past, that God took to the cross and nailed it by the blood of Jesus, washed you clean, brought you out white as snow, made you brand new. You dig that up. And you rehearse it. And let me tell you what. Say shame. 
Shame comes from several places. Shame comes from ourself. How many of you, as kids, your parents say, shame on you for doing that? <laughs> parents, never say that to your kids. If you've ever done it, they just pointed at you down there. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> if you've done it, stop it. Because, see, shame is the opposite of what God wants for you. God doesn't shame you. God convicts you. Shame comes from self. Shame comes from Satan. Shame comes from society. And shame comes from the self-righteous saints. When we look down our noses, why, well, my God, I can't believe they call they're coming up here in this church. Now I know what that shut your mouth. And pray and love them. Did Jesus ever say that to somebody that messed up? Shut your mouth, get away. No, come to me, he said. The only way you're going to get where God wants you to go is when whatever walks in those doors, they're welcome here. Messed up, tore up, from the floor up, they're in the right place. Come on. That doesn't matter how old you are. In fact, the older we get, the more compassionate we ought to become. Who was the ones that walked away first when the Lord said to the ones that brought this woman caught in adultery? And they said, the first of you without sin cast stone. And the, and, the, and, the, and, and the story goes that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. The oldest first. Why? Because we know we got no business being here except God. Amen. We know were it not for God where we'd be. And we need to be compassionate. Doesn't mean that we don't deal with stuff, but we deal with it in the right context and the right way. It's all about healing, it's all about restoration and giving that person the opportunity and us the, the, the ability by the Holy Spirit to, to strengthen them and to help them and to support them. You don't, some folks, you don't know their story, you haven't walked in their shoe. They may drive up in this, and they may wear all that, but you don't know what's beneath their skin. You haven't lived in their mind. You haven't trafficked in their fears. But God has, and he knows them, and he's sending them here so you can love them with the love of God and forgive them. Isaiah 43, 25, would you skip on down there? And because there's other stuff that I could say in there, but verse 25 says, I, even I, or I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I want you to look at me. How many of you have ever confessed a sin to God? Okay, some hands that went up, so that means you've never sinned. Let me ask you again. How many of you have ever confessed a sin to God? How many of you have confessed sins to God? That's as far as we're going to go, but... Do you know what he does the moment you do that? He takes them, puts them behind them. One scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. 
drops them into the sea of forgetfulness, another one says. But he says, I put them behind me, behind God, he said, puts them behind me, God, that I, God, speaking of him, would remember them no more. If God has forgotten what you've confessed, the sin, why don't you? Amen. See, God has a gift to forget. Do you know what the, what the gift to forget really is? He will never use your past against you as you go into your future. Because once you have asked him to forgive, he chooses to remember it no more. So all of you spiritual necrophiliates who are digging up your dead man's bones to rehearse your junk, your failure, your fear, your lack, everything else, your negativity, the Father is there watching you, and he's saying, what in the world are you doing? Why are you telling me that? That's long gone, baby. I forgave you the day you asked me to. I've loved you through everything. I've never turned my back on you, and I never will. Because in that same context right there, God also says to Israel that when they come through what they're coming through, he said, I, God, will never be angry at you again. And to this day, God's not angry at you. He hurts for you when you sin, when you mess up. It's because he knows there's better for you. I'm not here celebrating sin and thinking this. We just live in your way, do whatever we want. That's the last thing in the world this is about. But some of you have lived in the stress of remembering and forgetting. And you remember what you should forget and you have forgotten what you should remember. And the enemy is beating your head, destroying your marriage, wreaking havoc in your family, because all you do is remind others of the past that God has forgiven. Do you know why more spouses don't talk and confess and talk to their spouse about their struggles? Because they know they'll use it against them. Because the next time they mess up, we get the black book out. And we start reminding them. Let me, let me remind you, Hot Rod, Big Shot, Sweetie Pie, Cute Thing. <laughs> but not God. He loves you. How do we get there? I, and I close with this. So if you guys come help me or I will go on and, and I need to stop. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3 and I'll close with this verse of Scripture. How many of you love Jesus? How many love the person next to you? Let me ask you this. How many of you like the person next to you? We're commanded to love, but like is our choice. So when somebody says they like, you remember, remember when you were in school? I, I, I did this. Maybe you didn't. Little old girl, you know, I, I kind of sweet on her. And I'd send her a note, do you like me? Check yes or check no. 
They put that piece of paper back and they said, yes. You know, we all that. We, we dancing, we hopping, we're happy. Oh! That's why Pastor Dallas shouts because she says, I like you. <laughs> we like each other. That's a good thing. I like you. I like what I feel here. I like coming here. Because I believe you're likable people. But somebody who is struggling, and maybe you're here today. Maybe you've answered an, an altar call several times for seemingly the same thing. Or again. Or maybe it's brand new. Or maybe it's just something the enemy won't let you get free from. And you're walking in freedom, but he wants to keep helping you rehearse it. Listen to what Peter said as he preached in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and following. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I won't read the rest. I'm going to stop right there with that. Say repent. You know what repent means? Change directions. Quit going the way that you were going. Not just physically walking somewhere, but the thing that you were doing that was leading you from God. Turn around and walk to God. But he uses the same Greek word there, but with just a, a one letter in it to make it different enough to where it's the same, it's the same root word, but it's, he said, repent and be converted. So it's not just change direction, but the word conversion brings with it the thought of change your thinking. See, a lot of us have repented, but we've never changed our thinking. So the enemy keeps coming through and working through our stinking thinking. He keeps working it against you. But he said, if you'll repent, change directions, and be converted, change your thinking. Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Somebody's going to be refreshed in this room today. Some of you have just been, just been reminded of the goodness of God in your life, the faithfulness of God. And while that was going on, there was another war going on over here where the enemy wanted to remind you of your failure, of your past. But God wants you to remember his faithfulness, his goodness, his promises. Stand on them. And all that he's done for you and he will do for you. But he wants you to once and for all reje reject and forget the failure of the past. Learn from it. Learn from it. But if you've learned from it, bury it. Because he has. Change directions and change your thinking. You're going to have to move in a different direction. And you're going to have to start thinking differently than you did before. Bible says that we to be renewed in the spirit of your mind in Ephesians 4. Not just don't just don't have positive thoughts, but change how you think. 
literally renew your thought process. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us personally is he helps us think differently. That's the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. Bow your heads for a moment. The pastor is going to come in just a minute. And thank you for giving me the extra time. But you know who you are. Sitting here under the sound of my voice right now, you know who you are. The moment I, I started talking about spiritual necrophilia and about rehearsing the past and talking about it and all that comes along with the negativity that is packaged in. I think you knew it was you. And it's probably not because you're a bad person or anything else. In fact, you may be one of the oldest, most seasoned saints in this room. But that one thing, that one area, the enemy, has hounded you over and with, tormented you at times. There's been failure along the way, but because you love God, you'd repent. And for a season, you'd have conversion. You'd start thinking differently, but the enemy always found a way to kind of wiggle back in and remind you or trip you. But regardless of how old you are in the Lord, would you be honest enough today in the presence of God and say, Lord, there's some things I need to remember, but I know there are some things I've got to forget. And I want to remember today and forget today so I can step into your purposes for my life. See, because if we'll, if we'll learn how to walk in that, if we'll learn how to traffic in that, God can do great things for us. Does it mean that we'll live a sinless life and never have a problem, but we'll know what to do with it? We'll know how to, how to handle it to keep moving forward. So if that's you, you'll be man or woman enough or just so desperate enough that today is your day. Would you just raise your hand and say, please pray for me. Real quick, just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. To the man in this room that's battling pornography and nobody knows, God says, if you'll trust me with it today, I'll protect you and I'll keep you. But you got to let me have it. To that woman who's struggling, feeling forsaken, forgotten, unfulfilled. And the enemy's tempting you to think of walking away. The Lord said, if you'll turn to me today and start remembering the right things and forgetting the right things, I'll do a new thing for you. I'll help you. So let me ask you one more time. For those of you that already raised your hand, don't raise them again. But if over these last 30, 40 seconds, 60 seconds, Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I need to remember the right thing and forget the right thing so God can do the new thing. You're talking to me, Pastor. Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Let's all stand together.
Pastor, I'm not sure how you do this, um, but if you raised your hand, can they come down here and stand? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, that's good. Hold your hand up. Prayer team, go to these guys, these men, these women, real quick. Real quick. Turn around, look and see somebody near you. And if you're a believer, you love God, just extend your hands toward them and begin to pray for them. Come on, come on, hurry, run to them. They're in that place right now where they need God to help them. Come on. Let them know. Let, let that brother, let that, there's, 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 a, there's a, come on, there's, Anybody, anybody not have somebody, hold your hand up if you need someone to pray with you. Good. Rest of the church, let's just worship him. Lift your hands, lift your hearts to him right now. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, do what only you can do in these next few moments. Change what they can't change. Empower them to receive your grace, your mercy your goodness, your power, your provision, but most of all, your passion. You loved them so much, you came, you lived, you died. You were buried in a borrowed tomb, but you got back up so they can get back up. Bless them right now. Enemy, I bind you in the name of Jesus. In all of your lies that have tormented these men and women, the traps that you have set for them, and that they have fallen into today God cover that trap trip that trap so that they won't step in it today power and authority times of refreshing come on receive God's forgiveness just say I'm forgiven it's over God I give it to you in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Father, to that man that's struggling, to that woman that's struggling, to that marriage that's teetering and tottering right now, to that child that's wayward right now, draw them back to you and to each other and to the family. Bless them, Father. Strengthen them now. Touch them. Hallelujah.